0: One of the things that I <clears throat> forgot to announce was, we I don't know if you all know, but last Friday they began the Financial Peace University class, and uh, that's here at the church at, uh, what time does that start? 6.30, I believe. So if you have any interest in that, that is happening here on Friday nights, Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey and and uh, whoever's facilitating that, Cody, I believe, and uh, Colin, are you helping with that, I think? Yes, Cody and Colin, double C. All right. Well, today, I've been asking the Lord all week how this is going to turn out, because some messages I have in my head pretty well. Others are loose, (laughs) okay, barely sticking. And so what I want to do is just go over this today best I can and ask you guys to pray for me as I seek to only say what I'm supposed to say and go over this. Today is a message that relates to what we've been seeing ...in the revival that's been going on in the colleges. It's the last that I'm going to be speaking of it as a focus uh, as far as that goes in itself. We will always be discussing our biblical need for revival through everything we go. But as far as just a a focus in itself. And today what I want to talk about is not being discouraged with abuses of revival. Revival. Because I feel like that can happen. Because it happens, it happens to me. And in fact it happened to me this week. So we're going to be talking about trusting God to govern his kingdom. Trusting God to, go, to govern his kingdom. Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 13. Verses 24 through 30. Matthew chapter 13. And let us stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30. are going to read a parable. And here's how it starts. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven, now we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Father, we ask for wisdom as we seek to exegete correctly this text and that you would show us the value of understanding your view of things. God, we can get so insular and so narrow in our in our in our view as we look at things that you're doing, especially father. And it is so easy for our flesh to take over and begin to make determinations based on the speck. Of what we're seeing rather than the panorama that you are. So, God, today, set us aright in these things and encourage us that you are establishing, have established, and are establishing your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. I. I was thinking this week, because if you go on YouTube and you go on uh, social media, I only have YouTube, I don't have Instagram anymore, I don't have Facebook anymore, just no, but uh, I'm sure that's on there too, and, and I've heard of it being on there, but YouTube, and if you, if you Google, or if you look up on YouTube, Asbury Revival, at least in my feed, as they call it, okay, is all kinds of bizarre, weird things, Bad thing. It's it's not good. Not good things at all. Abuses of scripture, snapshot, cell phone events of things happening, and it, and it and it and it. I'm going to have to admit to you, it makes me angry. It makes me angry because I hate what I hate what's done by people when they when they want to move in and just take the light and the draw away from Christ. I, I hate that. Revival is such a gift and uh, it 's not like it 's handed out every day, right, and so you, you want to take and protect and 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 rightly or be responsible with that blessing that God gives and so I thought, man, who do I know that knows because <laughs> basically what're we are a long way from kentucky aren 't we so who do we know who do I know that is out there? who do I know and it made me think of John Franklin, who all remembers John Franklin. He preached here back in 2016, 17, and uh, I thought I'll call John. Yeah, so I called up John, and sure enough, John is a director of missions of churches there in Tennessee, and he has friends. Actually, he has pastors that are in his association that he shepherds, who have personally been to Asbury. They've been there, and they've wrote about their experience. And they put it on Facebook, <laughs> okay, which is good because, you know, again, uh, it's like this. You you have to know who to read or who not to read when these things come, and if you don't know, well, it's just like if you have an illness and you go on WebMD, you're going to be dead next week, okay, because that's just typically all that shows up is the worst case scenario, right? All right, so um, I thought John what can you tell me? Because when you look up on these things, all you see is these abuses of the Spirit, and, and these things attributed to God, which are obviously not of God, because they're not in keeping with Galatians 5. They're not there. What is this? And uh, so, first of all, his wife graduated from Asbury years ago, and uh, and again, I said these, these, uh, these pastors had went there and uh, wrote about their experience. So what I want to do, this man I'm going to read now, though, is not that pastor. I'll say that for a second, but Southern Seminary in Southern Baptist life is the, it's called the Southern Baptist Seminary, okay? And there's five of them. It has Al Mohler as its president. It is a very conservative, very, very, it's Baptist reformed school. So you don't get any nonsense from these people, okay? And so one, their professor of evangelism went to Asbury, and I thought, wow. Okay, let's see what he had to say. This is from John, and John confirmed this, and this is what he sent to me. And I want to read to you. <clears throat> it says this as uh, this is from the uh, Kentucky Today, which is uh, uh, I think a Baptist paper. There they have it says as revival closes in one week in or as revival closes in on the one week mark at Asbury University. Reports are circulating of other colleges and universities where revival fires have ignited. As of Tuesday, groups of students from at least 22 higher education institutions have visited the Asbury campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, fueling a work of the Lord uh, on uh, on other campuses. Social media posts have featured numerous reflections and exhortations related to the revival at Asbury as well as other schools. Among those visiting the Asbury revival on Monday was Tim Boer, pastor of West Broadway Baptist Church in Louisville, and the evangelism professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has written extensively about the 1970 Asbury Revival and was a faculty member at Wheaton College during its revival services in 1995. He wrote on Facebook that he is no newcomer to the revival discussions, having taught courses on revival and spiritual awakening at Wheaton College, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and and Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Reflecting on his time at Asbury on Monday, he issued a piece of advice. Throughout the history of revivals, critics have pointed to some type of excess accompanying a revival and tried to argue that excess discredited the entire revival moment and meant it was truly or was not truly a work of God. Boer wrote, Jonathan Edwards answered the criticism or answered, that criticism during the First Great Awakening by using a helpful phrase. And that helpful phrase is called, in the main. So, in the main. What is at the heart of the movement? What is happening in the main? So what he's referring to, Jonathan Edwards was giving advice to say, it's not what you see on the periphery, out there on the edges. It's what's happening in the main. Okay? It would be as if someone were out there in our parking lot next to the bar ditch. Uh, shoulder of the road for y'all. Okay? <laughs> okay? That's what they're called. <laughs> but and they were holding up signs saying some ludicrous thing and we would say but unless you're in here, this is what's real is what's happening in here in the main, okay? He goes there will always be excess on the fringe due to overly excited and not yet completely sanctified human beings and or Satanic opposition but what is taking place what is taking place in the main that is a helpful grid to evaluate movements like or movements that uh, like that taking place now at Asbury what every believer should be doing right now regardless of what you think about the early reports out of Asbury is praying who would deny that we need revival in our churches and spiritual awakening in our land God has visited this nation with powerful awakenings before. We study those great movements of revival in church history classes. As Asbury the spark of another one? I don't know, but I too am praying, and you should be too. Boer referred people to Facebook posts by Lawson Stone, Denny Burke, Bill Eliff, in which we've read and handed out articles by Bill Elf, Kenny Rager for helpful background and interpretation of the Asbury revival, and Boer posted these reflections on the afternoon he spent at Asbury. This is confusing me because it's double flipped. I've got to find number one. That's embarrassing. Well, I'm going to start at three. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not it. So, how do we know if what we think might be a revival is a genuine work of God? And he writes this: one unmistakable sign will be repentance. J. Edwin Orr, the great historian of revival, once remarked that we really don't understand what we are praying for when we pray for revival. We think we are praying for ecstasy, and yes, joy is is a byproduct of revival, but true revival doesn't begin in ecstasy, it begins with agony. It doesn't begin with laughter, but with tears. The Bible teaching this afternoon, and he's referring to Asbury, and several of the testimonies focused on repentance, not just feeling sorry for our sin, but with the Lord's help, seeking to remove it as far as we can from our lives. Related to a deeper work of the Spirit, I mentioned to my church recently that I, heard, I haven't heard much talk among evangelicals in recent years about dying to self. As a new believer in the 1970s, that spiritual discipline was thrust before me on a regular basis, but I don't hear much about it anymore, dying to self. This afternoon, there was, there was teaching on dying to self that was followed by a directed prayer time, asking God to help us do just that. The focus was clear. Die to self, live for Christ. And that is biblical. And then lastly, because I'm losing my, my pages, <clears throat> he says this, <clears throat> well, I'm lost. Oh, there it is. <laughs> he talks about the difference between a worshiper and a spectator. And he tells, For years my prayer when I enter a sanctuary has been, Lord, help me today to be a worshiper and not a spectator. I whispered that prayer as I entered Hughes Auditorium, and God graciously answered. I had sweet fellowship with my Savior, surrounded by hundreds of others doing the same. And then the other pastor that wrote, Pretty much from a not related, but he wrote nearly the same diagnostic of what he saw there in in the main in Asbury, so all the stuff that you see on the fringe, just let it be on the fringe. All that matters is what 's in the main. A couple other things there have been over a hundred thousand people pour into Kentucky there in wilmore that 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 uh, They're in four different buildings, not just one. Hughes Auditorium, which is the main auditorium, has a 1,500-seat seating capacity. And then there are four other also buildings, too, that are full of students. There was a well-known on-the-fringe teacher was told when he came to not that he would not be participating. And he was not to be involved. He was allowed to attend, but he wasn't to speak or anything else. There was a famous contemporary Christian artist that volunteered her services to sing and lead, but they wanted to keep it strictly with the students. To which Bill Elliff wrote, some played well and some not so well. Okay? The point of the matter is the school has done well at keeping, these are the, this is from John, this is from the people who went there, the school has rejected any name to be associated with what's being done. They're not keeping a record of it. It's just for the students. The students are leading it. And the staff is shepherding it very well. So this stuff that's on the periphery, it's on the periphery for a reason. Okay? They have a huge lawn out in front of these, cha- of these buildings in this chapel. And there are people out there doing bizarre things and posting it on YouTube and Facebook and all those things. But remember, it's what's happening in the main that matters. How easy would it be For something to happen in our service on a Sunday morning quickly. Some bizarre thing. Somebody capture it on a cell phone. Post it on Facebook before we could even breathe. And then say, see, that's what they're about down there. We have to be very careful. Plus, we don't want to grieve the Spirit. And we don't want to quench Him. And we could actually do that from here. So I just want to tell you... I felt good about being able to substantiate what's going on by talking to someone that I know and trust that's there, that he has people that he knows and trusts that have actually been to it. Plus, this hasn't even begun the discussions of what's going on on all the other campuses and what's going on in other churches. And he said, I have this one church, Mickey, that is out in the middle of nowhere. It's Tennessee. He goes, they run about 75. And he said, they're a very, they don't move much. You know, they, 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 they stay put. They had an altar call last Sunday night. 25 of the 75 were at the altar and wouldn't leave. He goes, they don't do that. There's been another church that finally started, he said, a Sunday night service. That have had over 100 in attendance since they began a few weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Just... God is moving evidently in our nation, in these places. We should pray and say, God, let me not be drawn away by the the noise of the enemy. Which brings me to our text today. Number one, when we go to Matthew chapter 13. What drew me to this was the issue of the wheat and the tares. There is a vast difference between wheat and... And but the first thing that Jesus says when he starts out in this parable is the kingdom of heaven is like. And so uh, seven times in Matthew chapter 13, you have these issue of parables and you have the phrase the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like is like. In verse 24, it says, like a man who sowed good seed in his field. In verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed sowed in his field. And then in verse 33, like leaven hidden in meal. And then like treasure hidden in a field, like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. In verse 47, like a dragnet cast into the sea. And in verse 52, like a householder bringing out things new and new. And, old. and so this is all through Matthew chapter 13. Parables, these these stories, earthly stories with heavenly meanings meant to be mysterious to those who refuse to believe, but yet totally revealing to those who do. Okay, that's how Jesus was teaching. And I think, God, what does all this mean? And so when you look at these things, we well, seeds are small, and mustard seeds are small, and leaven's small, and treasure, well, it's hidden. You can't see it because that's why it's hidden, okay? And then a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Well, that's the whole point. He's looking for them because they're somewhere, okay? And then the dragnet goes down into the sea. You don't have any idea what you're going to pull up. And then the householder bringing out things new and old. Well, who decides? Well, will they do. Well, how do we know what they're going to decide? Well, only they know. These are things that are mysterious. These are things that are of the kingdom. And is that like the kingdom today? You, you look out through there and you say, I don't see much, but there's so much happening. That we fail to see because we're looking at the wrong things. But yet the Bible tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So if we're not seeing and we possess the Holy Spirit, I think there's just one reason we aren't looking. And maybe why we're not looking, and this is the whole point of today, is don't fall for the lie and the trap. And the subtle seduction or overt seduction... That can happen to you whenever you see abuses of the Spirit of God. Whenever you see people claiming that, oh, this is what's happening to this down you say, well, then I'm not going to have anything to do with any of it. Because that'll quench the Spirit too. We have to go back to what the Scripture says. So real quick, Galatians chapter 5. What does the Scripture say about the move of the Spirit? Oh, Gus told me about this last week. Not that I hadn't read it before, but he just brought it up as a good way of reminder If you want to know how revivals go, and if you know if the spirits are there, here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5. If the Holy Spirit's there, this is what you'll see. Galatians chapter 5. Yeah, Just get past, there we go, Galatians 5. Down around verse 22. Now this is the fruit of the Spirit. So, how to know something's legit. Is there love there? Is there joy there? Is there peace there? Is there long-suffering and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness? Is there self-control there? Now clearly, these things, as we also connect the dots, we know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Is there truth there? In other words, when it's of God... Christ will be exalted first and foremost, and sin will be dealt with. Why? How do we know it? Well, if you go back up above in these verses. Verse 19, what are the works of not the spirit? What are the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornications, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, all things of self are there. In a biblical revival, Christ is exalted and all things of Christ are there. Because if the Holy Spirit... Now we have to remember something. Is His job not to make much of the Son? First and foremost, that's His job, right? So anytime you begin to hear more about the third person of the Trinity, to the absence of... Of the second person of the Trinity, or even the first, you've you've went awry somewhere. Because the Holy Spirit makes much of Christ. And He brings to mind all things that Christ has said to us. That's His job. Remember, we called Him the Alas of God. The other like me, Jesus said. The helper who will remind you and teach you of all these things. And even when Jesus drew near to those on the road to Emmaus... And they were wondering how to figure this out. He started with the Scriptures, right? So, whenever the Spirit of God is moving, you can better believe that the Holy Spirit is going to bring you front and center with the Scripture. And, and, and that is going to bring you front and center with the sin in your life. Because you've got to get clean. You come to Christ and revival is that glorious occasion in which God reaches down to his people cuz revival is only for God's people and he pulls them out of the the muck and the yuck that they're stuck in. Do you like that? Okay? And 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 he 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 literally you're saying I can't get out. It's too yucky. It's too bad. I'm tangled. And he pulls you up out of it. That's the glorious deliverance of what revival does. It's forced Uh, extraction to God's people out of their yuck. And that's what we see happening. And He brings you into conformity with His Spirit through the Word of God, which testify of Him. Well, we go back to Matthew chapter 13, and we begin to read, as Jesus said, while men slept... Our first, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And he went his way. That's, that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> okay? And I just want to say, in the Bible, and if you read, if you go back and you probably study this. How many of you heard of Darnell? Darnell. It's not the name of a lady that works at the bank. Okay, Darnell. Darnell. Travis, you know Darnell? No? Okay. Well, I didn't either. What about any wheat farmers? We never heard of Darnell. We just heard of cheat. That's all we used to call it was cheat. You cheat? Cheat wheat. Cheat. Well, Darnell is an actual Middle Eastern thing, I guess, because Darnell occupies a gray area in human agricultural history. It's definitely not good for us. When people eat its seeds, they get dizzy, off balance, and nauseous, and its official name, I don't know Latin very well. At all, actually. El temulentum. Okay? And comes from a Latin word for drunk. So it actually has that side effect. And, and I was reading, if, 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 uh, if you eat too much of it, you can't die. But darnell is a mimic weed. Now, this is important. Neither entirely tame or quite wild. That looks and behaves so much like wheat that it can't live without human assistance. Darnell seeds are stowaways. The plant survival strategy requires its seeds to be harvested along with those of domesticated grasses, stored, and then replanted the next season. Now up behind me, so it would be on my right, you have real wheat seed. And then, of course, if you're not familiar, you should, when the wheat comes up and, and goes to a head, y'all should stop and look and study it. But to the left is the Darnell head. And you know what? It looks really similar to a bearded wheat, but it's not. And so Jesus says, they're asking the question, what do we do? You've got tears Now, before in the boot stage, before it gets into the head, it all looks the same, okay? So Jesus is questioned by, or in his parable, he said the question is asked, someone has slept or has come in while you were asleep and they've sown these tares in your feed or in your field, and they've went away. And it says in verse twenty six, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares appeared. Now, notice when the tares appeared, really appeared, is when in verse twenty six the tares, or when the when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop. Isn't that when the devil strikes a lot of times? When things are, when God is moving, and in your life, perhaps it's in your family, you've had a major breakthrough. Perhaps, let's just go back and start at the front. You you've had a time of a great season of drawing near the Lord, and He's just, man, so close to you. Maybe you've just gotten saved. You've you've confessed Christ, He's come into your life, He's your Lord, He's your Savior, and and you're so just your head is in heaven, and you go to work, and in your family, suddenly things just begin to fall down on you, man. Just boom. Your friends are making fun of you. If you're married, your wife thinks you've lost your mind. Okay? If you you have a boss, he's suddenly just focusing on you as his sole attention of misery. Okay? Uh, your dog dies, or who knows what all goes on, but you just think, man, ever since I became a Christian, this all this bad stuff is happening. To which you need to draw near to an older disciple, okay? And they'll say, yeah, welcome, because now you're a target. And the first thing the enemy wants to do is discredit that testimony of grace in your life. Don't fall for it. Go to him for faith. Flee to him for strength. And let him be your witness as you push through this. Don't, don't fall for it. And I've seen over the years, I've seen a lot of new Christians really fall for that sometimes. But then let's say in your family of faith, you guys have had a great season of personal revival in your home or in your family. You lose your job, maybe the car breaks down and then the toilet goes too. You know, now you, don't, you can't drive to get parts and you got to have that and you got to have both, right? And you don't know what to do and, and maybe a, a relative or somebody else is sick, maybe they just turn mean to you don't understand. Everything seems to unravel, but that's the point, Right now the Lord has you, you're, you're strong and you're, you're focused, you're reading your Bible, you're set out to pray, you've got these disciplines of grace that you're trying to exercise in your life, and all these distractions just keep flying at you. What do you do? Well, you do what everybody does. You just give in to them and you, and you quit. That's it. And you burn the house down and you junk the car. Okay, okay. You tell your family, I'm not talking to you guys ever again. No, you don't do that. You get before God and you say, Lord, I understand that the crop is producing. Thank you so much. But I also understand from your teaching that the enemy is going to do his level best to discredit and to distract and take me away. God, I can't do anything about those things. But I can be here. And I can be with you right now. And God, so help me. Get me up out of bed every morning. And get me on my face before you. Oh Lord, throughout my day, call me to prayer when I'm driving. Call me to prayer when I'm, when I'm alone. And God, bring your word to me through the ministry of your Holy Spirit that abides within me. God, fight my battles. Don't fall for it. Because that's exactly what we see happening when things like what's happening in Asbury and the other colleges are going on with what happens in your life, what could happen in this church. That's what the devil does. He seeks to discredit it. So I find it interesting that this is a a mimic weed. A mimic weed. Counterfeits. Now, when did the devil start counterfeiting the things of God? Right in the beginning, right. Well, how do we know that? Bible tells us, and it'll tell you exactly how to get through the counterfeits too. Not only will it tell you when they it begin, it'll tell you how to get through them too. So, number one, the enemy is never going to stop sowing counterfeits ever. Don't fall for them, and don't get mad when, uh, if you're into maybe you're maybe you're like being dazzled by a, a certain counterfeit, and someone says now. <sighs> Here's kind of the history on that. You got to take a look at the scripture here, all of it in its context, and it doesn't line up with what you were saying. Just you have to yield to the scripture, okay? And that's where everything goes back to. Number two, Jesus allows both to grow together until the end of the age. And the obvious question I want to ask is, well, why? <laughs> Why, Lord? <laughs> Why do you do that? So let's look here, verse twenty-seven. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, "Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Because after all, we're here to help you tell you how to do your farm. And oftentimes that's how we as Christians operate with God, isn't it? Or oh, Brian, are you the only one that does that? Okay, I figured. So everyone just say thank you, Brian. No, so you know we all want to help God out. And quite honestly, let me just say there for a second, that's where 99.9% of the abuses in revival come from when we try to help God out. Oh, and man, so I got a pocket knife right here. I'm going to show y'all something. Well, I should get the tape off of it. Okay. You see that right there? If you can, you got good eyes. <laughs> That's a knife edge. Now, if you get closer to it, you could land a plane on it. But it's a knife edge. It's very, very fine. It could be finer. It'll cut you very narrow. That's, so over here would be truth. And over here would be error. This is the difference. Many times. In the things of God. It's this knife edge. It's that close. So then how do we know what to do? How do we know the difference? Well. <laughs> this. Okay. You read your Bible. And you become a student of it. To the point where you say. "Hmm, Wait a minute. God, God's talked about this before. So if you're like me. You Google the keyword you remember so you can go to the verse that you can't remember. Okay? And then you find it. You go, that's what I thought. Yes. Oh, look, a reference. And then suddenly you have gone from the knife error of error to truth because you have the roadmap. It's impossible. It's impossible. To try and understand the things of God apart from Scripture. You have to have Scripture. And by the way, just don't forget, God doesn't need our help to make things better. What He needs is our humility and our obedience. so, So as we go on and we read, down past 27 verse 28... He said to them, as an enemy has done this, has sowed the tares, the servant said, do you want us then to go and gather them? Because we're always too ready to do something, right? I mean, me. You know the whole bull in the china closet, Frank? That that's me. You all think that was, bo- no, that started in 1973, okay? that's that, My name right there. I can break anything, okay? I can cause a mess and a wreck in anything. Now, I'm just saying that God, so many times we, we want to go do something. The majority of my mistakes in early ministry was because I felt like I needed to go fix it. I needed to go do something. I needed to be assertive and aggressive. No, God needed me to be on my face asking Him what He was going to do about it. So, lots of scars later, lots of bumps on the head later, lots of humiliation later. I now go and ask God what he wants to do about it. And when I feel that compulsion to just do something, like a horse wanting to go through the bit, I go to the stall. Because he will go through the bit. And if it's that bold in me, I need to step back. I finally got a clue. What, what he was saying here to his servants is, no, I don't. But he said, look in verse 29, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Now did you see that? That's that knife again. That's that, that's that blade that we see coming out. We want to go fix the problem. Yes you're right. There's a vast problem. And we're going to use the sledgehammer too. Because we just bought it. And it needs used. Okay. And any other big stuff we've got. Because we're going to come loaded. And we're going to fire all the barrels man. When we're done, there won't be a problem. There'll be scorched earth too. So, the Lord says, no, while you try your methods, if you do what you want to do, you're going to injure a lot of healthy plants. A lot. How many of you grow strawberries? That's because I gave them to you. Okay. <laughs> So Brian, he doesn't grow them. They just grow themselves. (laughs) No, anyone else? So here's what I learned you don't do. My strawberry bed, the Mar de Bois variety, which are so sweet and good, man. They got grass all in them. They did. I mean, they began to spread a lot, okay? And I let it go because I saw a few shoots come up, but I got busy. Well, you know what happens when you neglect your garden. So it got so bad that it was beginning to suffocate the other strawberry plants. So I thought, well, hey, Roundup kills grass. I know it kills strawberry plants too. But I thought this out. What I'm about to tell you is this. My plan was sound. I even investigated it on the internet. So very meticulously, I mixed A super concentrated small batch of Roundup in a a little cup. And I got a little paintbrush. And I went around and I painted every (laughs) one of those blades of that grass. I mean, I did. I took great care to not get it on my beautiful French strawberries. And I thought, I have conquered. Look at it. And you know what I even felt better because in about seven days that grass was turning brown. I thought, ha! Look at that wren. Because she said I shouldn't do it. <laughs> well, the grass died. And and then later, the strawberries began to look weird. They never put on any berries. And then they died too. You know what happened? The roots of all the grass had intermingled with the roots of the strawberry plants. And it all went down in there, that roundup did, and it leached into the strawberry plants. And so by my trying to kill them with both barrels, I inadvertently hurt and injured and killed my plants. That's why God says don't do that. There is a way that the Lord wants to address problems amongst his body. And it isn't our way. That's why it's so important that we get to the scripture and understand. Because So if we see here, what does he say? No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat. An attempt to do this problem of separation is not humanly possible. Only God can weed the weeds. We are commanded to expose evil, to be sure, Right? and we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather to expose them as it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 but here's what the here's what the Lord said we're supposed to do number 1 we have to understand and remember that there is an absolute end coming to this age revival the revival biblical revival is not sent to perpetually keep us here in this forever There is an end coming. There is an eschaton coming. It's absolute. And Jesus says here, He says in verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And then at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And of course, if you go down to verse 36 through 43, you will see in verse 40 that the tares are gathered and burned in the fire and so will it be at the end of the age. God sometimes, I mean evidently, these cults and, and extremes and isms and schisms and things like that, they're going to be here. We need to stop acting so surprised whenever they produce a grain or a fruit head. They're here. That doesn't limit God. It it could indicate that we haven't been tilling our soil like we ought to. Right? It could indicate a lack of diligence on our part if it's spreading. But we shouldn't be surprised that they're there. We can't say, evidently the gospel doesn't work or else there wouldn't be all these weeds. Really? You go farm for a while and see what you think. Verse 40, 41, God himself will separate the wheat from the tares or, as Matthew 25 says, the sheep from the goats. Let both grow together until the time of the end. Time of the end. There is an end coming. In Verse 42, if you read down in the text, as we were saying, it says, and he will cast these into the. The furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a certain place called hell that is the final destination for all who do not repent and believe. That is a fact. That is going to happen. We have to be diligent to fulfill our ministry. And what is our ministry? It's the ministry of the word. That's why we have Sunday school. To teach the word. That's why we have preaching services, to preach the Word. That's why we are looking at going on mission to Ireland and have a long-term relationship with them so we can go over there and preach and teach and share the Word too and join those brothers and sisters in what they're doing. That's why we want to promote anything that teaches and preaches and shares the Word of God because that's our job. That's really our job. So there will be a time of this certain place. In verse 43a, it says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. The righteous in Christ alone will shine forth as the sun. That's wrong. I spelt that wrong. In the kingdom of their father. We are to shine for Christ now. Biblical revival sometimes comes along. Pulls us up out of our yuck. And helps us to shine bright for Jesus. That's what it's for. It recalibrates you to what matters most in your life. Which is Jesus. You, you completely re- or, reprioritize what you think your life was before. You no longer think that. You, you have a whole... You, you're re- re-energized and, and refocused on Christ. And the centrality of Christ in your life. All those things that you knew before you needed to do. But we're powerless, it seemed, to do. And then God in his gracious visitation, he just pulls you up and sets you to doing them. And so what does the Lord say in verse 43 at the end here? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. I'm getting really to the point. And and I, you know, hey, look, let me say this. You must have doctrine in Christ's church. Because God gave us doctrine. It is our responsibility to know it. It is our responsibility to defend it. We don't fall away from it. But I will also say, there are some doctrines that are just hard. And then there are questions that people ask that no one knows. No one knows. We were driving along there in Ireland. Everyone was bored out of their mind because we were driving. And someone said, does anyone know if Adam had a belly button? <laughs> and I was, I was one of few that weren't a doctor. <laughs> they, were, they all had their doctorates. And I was astonished. They talked on that for over an hour. And I thought, we got to get out of this van. Oh, look, a leprechaun. But I'm just saying it was amazing at the kind of thing. Well, you know, the DNA. And, I mean, so can we please, first and foremost, I think the Lord made very, 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 very clear what it is we're supposed to know. I mean, it is a no-brainer. It's right there in black and white or red. We should know those. When when you get out yonder, that's code for somewhere out there on the periphery. Better be careful. And remember that we are all, as far as the body of Christ goes, not yet fully sanctified. And we don't want to risk grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit to be right. Right. That's not an excuse to not surrender to very plain doctrines. But it's also an admonition to be very careful. and Remember, what is our ministry? To teach and preach and share the gospel of Christ and to exalt His name and to pray that God would germinate some seeds. I would love to see that. I was talking to David in Ireland last night. He's in Nina. (laughs) Okay. Everything's uh, on the end. Okay. And uh, he said, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your church? I said, well, I said, there's a sweetness settled over our body. Pray that we don't mess it up. (laughs) Okay, number two. (laughs) I said, pray. I said, it'd be really cool, be really good. If God would really begin to germinate some of those seeds we've been sowing. So that we could see some salvations. Wouldn't that be just amazing? Oh you got it brother. I'll pass it on. And so he's praying for us. And we're going to be praying for them. He's sending a list by the way. To to give. And, uh, And I just what I want to be about. We're going to teach doctrine at Northridge. And we're going to hold the line. But we're also going to be very careful. That we do it in a spirit of humility so that we do not quench the Spirit and grieve Him on arguing about things of no consequence so that we can keep our focus on Him. Amen? So Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I want to close with this. This is fascinating. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Doop. Got to find it. I hope I didn't mess up. I do mess up a lot. Hmm. Well, I'll have to remember it because I did mess up. This isn't my day. Charles Murray is a political scientist. He's wrote a lot of books. Uh, Some of you may have had them, but he he studies a lot of culture. He actually said, now he's an agnostic. So he's, he's got high hopes, but that's about it, right? Agnostic, okay? And he said, unless there is another revival of religion in our land. He feels that we are doomed. That was his words, Charles Murray. As a political scientist who's an agnostic. And so when I read that, I thought, Man, how bad does it have to be when an agnostic who does, who's undecided doesn't even, even sees the great value Of the historical realities of God sweeping the nation and calling people to Himself. Sobering, isn't it? Very. So here's what we need to do, church. Number one, let's keep being faithful in the ordinary graces that God's given us. Value your Bibles, pour into them, hold it tight, okay? Know it. Live in it. And when after you've read your your chapters. Go to your knees. If you can't go to your knees. Because someone might have to come visit. Stay in your chair. Okay. And pray. Seek God and say Lord take this to my heart. It's hard. Lord. Jumpstart my soul. I'm not asking for just an emotional high here. I'm asking for your nearness and your presence. And God, stir my brethren with the same. Lord, make me of value. Lord, keep me from explaining away the obvious things that I need to do as your child to show Jesus to a dark world. And Father, this day, if there's something needs to go, then Lord, take it. Take it away. And if we would have that mind, that determination, you watch what God does. that's a mercy. And oh, he's full of mercies. J.T.'s going to give us a time to have a, a bit of a reflection bit here. What are we going to do with what we've heard today? You know, I had a man tell me about the altar. He says, I don't like to do altar stuff at our church. He goes, it's just a place where things go to die. He was young, so I could have one of those old guy moments. And I said, exactly. It's a place where things go to die. If there's anything alive in you that doesn't need to be, kill it. Like John Owen said, you be killing sin or it'll be killing you. And church, let us be diligent to pray and keep praying that God will continue to do whatever he's doing out there. And whatever he's done here, if you were here Wednesday, that he will continue to do it. If you don't know Christ, the gospel is this, that Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised again the third day. He was seen by over 500 witnesses at once. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that he's a living savior Right now. And you will stand before him. Either as your savior. Or as your judge. Repent. And believe the gospel. You do as God leads.